This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Aftershocks, my favorite headphones. I am pretty much obsessed with these headphones. I wear them all the time. They use a bone conduction technology. They are wireless. You wear them on the outside of your ear so you can still hear what's going on around you, but you can still hear your music or your podcast really well. I did not know how much of a believer in this product I would be until I started using it myself. You all can go check it out when you go to another.aftershocks.com and you can get $50 toward an endurance bundle. Again, that's another.aftershocks.com. Use the code another to get $50 off an endurance bundle. All right. Today you're listening to episode 209 and I'm talking with Sinead Diver. Sinead recently placed fifth at the TCS New York City Marathon. She was the first non-African to cross the finish line and she has just been on a streak over these last couple years. She's the mother of two. She's 42 years old and she is really at the height of her career right now in running. Sinead really broke through in the marathon in 2018 when she ran the Melbourne Marathon in a time of 2.25.17. The crazy thing is she didn't run her first marathon until she was 38 years old when she ran the Melbourne Marathon in 2014, and she debuted at a time of 2.34.15, and that was on some pretty low mileage, which we talk about in this episode. So then this past year, in the spring in the 2019 London Marathon, she ran a personal best of 2.24.11. She was the seventh woman to cross the finish line. She actually led a lot of that race. And then she also placed 14th in the 10K at the 2019 IAAF World Championships. She ran a time of 31.25 in that race. So when Sinead towed the line at the New York City Marathon, she might have been considered a dark horse. She might not have been someone we people were looking out to podium or place in the top five, but she knew what she was capable of. She came through the finish line in the time of 2.26.23, a blazing fast time for the New York City Marathon course. And I was so excited to hear all about this race. In this conversation, we get into her running, how she started a little bit later in life and what her life looked like before all of this and what it's like to run these crazy fast times at the age of 42. I think one thing that you'll take from this episode and that that I really took from this episode is that we shouldn't be putting limitations on ourselves, regardless of how old we are or, or what we're told by other people. We shouldn't put a limitation on what we are capable of. And I really appreciated that perspective from Sinead. Sinead runs for Australia, but she is originally from Ireland and we get to hear about that story as well. One more thing before we start talking with Sinead is I want to let you know that I will be back at the Donna Marathon in February. There is a wide array of races over the weekend. There's a 5K, a half marathon, a half marathon relay, a marathon, and a 110 ultra marathon challenge of events. So this is February 7th through the 9th. It's a flat, fast Boston qualifying marathon course, and it is the official event 
of the Donna Foundation, which provides financial assistance and support nationwide for those living with breast cancer. And it funds groundbreaking research to finish the disease once and for all. This is one of my favorite weekends of the whole year. So this is the third year in a row you've heard me talk about this race. And I really hope you will consider making the trip down to Jacksonville and joining me this year. You all can use the code Lindsay15 to get 15% off any of the races of your choice down there. Just go to the breastcancermarathon.com and use the code Lindsay15 to get 15% off any of the races down there. And to line up with this, I'm hosting a big giveaway with them. We're giving away a weekend trip to the Donna Marathon. It's going to be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. So make sure if you haven't entered to win that giveaway, you go over there and do that now. All right, friends, let's enjoy my conversation with Sinead Diver. All right, today on the podcast, I'm so excited to welcome Sinead Diver to the show. Welcome to I'll Have Another, Sinead. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. And we're on totally opposite sides of the world right now. I think you're the furthest away person I've ever interviewed. I'm really excited about this. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, it's almost 11 a.m. on Thursday morning here. It's pretty funny because... You and I were trying to schedule this, and we were kind of playing this week by ear because you you were going to have some jet lag coming off, coming back from the States. Yeah. And this morning when I was, we were messaging, it was like 6 a.m. my time, and you must have just been getting ready to go to bed. Yeah, I think that was a, would have been around 11 p.m. So I literally was like, just message you, and then I think uh, I just went to sleep, and then so I didn't get your follow-up messages till this morning. Till oh, I woke up. <laughs> yeah, I figured. I was like, oh, she's got to be going to bed now. And so yeah. <laughs> kind of all day, I was just like, I, we might be on schedule for tonight. It might be tomorrow, but oh, I'm just going to let it be. Sorry. Because I knew um, that you were going to bed. And it's just crazy. I just lived the whole day. And <laughs> and it was just your nighttime. It's just so wild how that works. Yeah. And it's funny coming back from America as well. So I flew back on, um, I left on Saturday. And I got in on Monday morning. So you actually lose a day coming back to Australia, uh, so which is really strange. So I'm still kind of trying to figure out, you know, what day it is because I'm not I'm not back to work yet. Um, so all the days seem to kind of roll into one. <laughs> I, I mean, but I think good. I think it's a 16 hour difference, which is strange as well. It's unusual. And it's hard to get my head around. <laughs> yeah, if I'm being completely honest, when we were messaging, I was like, I hope she's understanding this time thing. I'm just saying my time and I hope she's figuring this yeah. out because I'm very yeah. confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So did your family travel with you to the States? Yeah. So, well, they, um, I was in London prepping for New York Marathon because um, I went to Doha at the end of September for the, the world championships there. I raced the 10,000 meters on the track. And then rather than coming all the way back to Australia and then traveling from Australia to New York, I went to London instead and had a couple of weeks there. Um, so the, the flight from London to New York is only eight hours, whereas from Australia, it's 24 plus hours. Um, so Colin and the boys uh, flew from Australia and they, they arrived into New York on the Thursday. So they got there just in time for Halloween, which was cool. Oh, yeah. How old are your boys? Uh, nine and six so they were super excited about the parade and trick-or-treating and everything so that was a really cool experience for them because Halloween isn't really that big in Australia um some people you know there's some kids meet up and do a little bit of trick-or-treating but there's no parade 
or, or anything like that. So that was a cool experience for them. They loved it. How do they do on a flight that long? Have they have they done that before? Um, so they, um, yeah, so actually before Doha, um, I went to St. Moritz to do some altitude training and they, the boys flew there to uh, spend about, I think, 10 days in St. Moritz with me and then they flew to Ireland. So they've had, they had that long, long haul flight in, uh, that was September um, and then they spent some time in Ireland and then back to Australia. So they've actually done two long haul flights in the last couple of months. Um, and they're they've been really really good um it's been I think it's almost harder when you're older like yeah. Colin struggled a little bit especially with jet lag but the boys seem to come around really quickly um yeah. they did when they got into New York they did go for a sleep in the afternoon so that they'd be up for the parade and that but they just kind of their body clocks just switched really quickly which is good did you when they were in New York did you did you stay in the same hotel room as them or did you give yourself like space because you had you know, something oh, to do. Yeah. <laughs> when I got there, um, they did give us a room for the four of us. Um, but I had requested that we'd have adjoining rooms, but I think that got mi- mixed up in communication. So when I arrived in, we just had a, one room with two beds and I thought, oh, wow, this <laughs> is going to be tricky for before a marathon. I like to have, you know, my own space and that and not get too stressed out. So I actually said, said it to David Monty and his wife, Jane. Um, they they organize or help us out at the the New York Marathon. They're the elite coordinators, I think. And they actually sorted another hotel or another room in the hotel, which ended up in next door to my room oh, um, nice. for the boys, which was perfect. So that I was really lucky with that. So I got to have my own room and that in the days leading in. But the boys were just next door. So that was cool. Yeah, that's good. I was just talking to Steph Bruce about this post Chicago because her boys come to her races too and they bring like their nanny with them or their babysitter. And she was just talking about how she thinks it's really important for race organizers to, you know, like make it so that it's easy to travel with your family too and to make that a priority because there's so many moms racing and dads racing at this competitive level. yeah so that's so great to hear that they that they made that happen for you yeah they were brilliant like within they had it sorted so quickly and yeah there was no drama or anything so I was really appreciative of that all right well Sinead you placed fifth at the New York City Marathon are you still celebrating how do you feel <laughs> um <laughs> yeah I'm was really happy with how the the race panned out um I, I think on a really really good day I had hoped that I might have a chance to podium but I think um I think with the with how the race panned out and we all kind of went from the start so there was no like often the African girls like to hang back at the start and then you know by halfway they really uh, get into the race and their second half is usually a lot quicker but um for for our race we all went together um so I think yeah I mean I I was really happy with fifth and to be the first non-African runner. Um, and those gir- the girls ahead of me were a lot faster than me. So I kind of knew I wouldn't podium when we went through halfway. But uh, And I had no idea what position I was in when I finished. Really? So I was really happy. Yeah, I, I thought, because um, I-, I knew at-, at the point where the girls were getting away from me and Des was ahead of me as well. 
Um, I, I just didn't really count how many were in the group. Mm. Um, so I, di- I wasn't sure. I knew I was in the top 10, but I just wasn't sure how many were ahead of me or what, what position I was in. And it's funny, you know, at the end of the marathon, like you're, you can't really think that clearly and you're not really thinking about, well, I certainly wasn't. I was just trying to catch, actually trying to catch Nancy Kiprop um, towards the end was my focus, but I just missed her by two seconds. Two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and so when you just missed her, did I mean, if you didn't know where you were, were you like, this could be a podium spot? Uh, um, I can't remember if I thought that, but I probably would have thought that. Yeah. Yeah. When... Yeah. So thankfully that wasn't actually. Yeah. Podium. That would have been worse. <laughs> yeah. I would have been gutted. Yeah. If I missed the podium by two seconds. Two seconds. When did you pass Des? Uh, oh, it was towards the end. I think, um, Maybe around the 40K or okay. 41. Yeah, so very close to the end. I could see her for quite a bit in um, in Central Park, uh-huh. and I knew I was catching her. Um, but, yeah, I think, it, yeah, around that so 41K maybe. Because you run in Central Park, then you come out and you run up Fifth Ave, right, and then you go back in. So was it the first time you were in Central Park? Oh, I actually can't. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I sorry, I don't know. <laughs> That's okay. No, I was just curious. I I ran that course for the first time myself, so I I never knew that you run in the park and then you come out and then you go back yeah. in. I didn't know that happened. I didn't I don't think I actually noticed that even though somebody said that to me the other day and I was like, "Oh my god, I actually can't really remember." <laughs> that well, part of coming out of the park and then I, go back in. I, maybe I'm wrong, mm. but I swear we were in the park. No, no, you were Somebody yeah, else said no, it too. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, and yeah. then and then we're going up this hill, this stretch, and it's like ne- a never-ending gradual hill, and everybody's flying by me, and I'm like, what is happening here? I was not expecting this. Oh, oh I remember that hill. So is that when you come out of the park? Yeah, I no, I remember so. that hill. That was the worst hill in the whole race. I agree. Because it was this gradual incline that seemed to go on forever. Yes. I, I thought, oh, I'm running really slowly, and I thought it was kind of all over, so then by the time I got to the top of that and uh-huh. went back into the park, I felt much, much better. And it was after that that I passed Des. Okay. Yeah, so it, you wasn't, passed it wasn't Des. before that. Yeah. I think, because I think you enter the park again at like mile 25 or something like that. So you got like a mile oh, okay. ago maybe? Yeah. Yeah. That would oh, be, that man. Would be right. Okay. Yeah. Because then you get to go down again, which has felt great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. <laughs> so tell me... Um, all the bridges. This is so fun doing this interview now that I've actually run the race because I've interviewed people that have run New York before, but like never having run the race myself, I never understand like all the bridges that they talk about and things like that. So um, which bridge did you find to be the most challenging? Um, I actually didn't mind the bridges too much. Mm. I think because I had built it up so much in my head and yeah. everyone had warned me so much about the bridges um and I'm I don't like hills at all really so I prefer <laughs> a flat course um so when I got to the bridges it was almost like um I almost quite liked the change in like there was no um I didn't feel like I needed to be on any certain pace or anything mm-hmm. running up the, the the bridges I was like just run by feel and get through it so I didn't mind the bridges too much and the first bridge even though it's really long um, and qu- quite steep. It's probably this, it's probably the highest one in the race, I think. Um, that felt fine. And then coming down, that was cool. Like the second mile, 
I loved that. <laughs> um, and then at the Queensborough Bridge, I thought it was going to be awful, but that was, I didn't mind that so much because, yeah, I don't know. I, I even quite liked the silence on it as well, mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. weird, I guess. A lot of people don't like that. It's kind of peaceful. Uh, yeah, I found it, I found it peaceful. And I, I didn't mind it that much. But I, I, the worst parts for me were the gradual inclines because mm-hmm. the, the long roads that seemed to go on forever and you could just see the little undulations and the roads just seemed to be going uphill a lot. So they were the parts that I found the most difficult. So fifth place, you said on a good day, you felt like, you know, a podium was in the reach. What does that feel like standing on the start line? I mean, you kind of, you made an, you've been making a name for yourself. And when you ran the 224 in London, I mean, that's so fast. So did you feel like you were a dark horse though at the start of New York? Yeah, a little bit. I didn't, cause I didn't think anyone would think that I had any chances of podium, getting to the podium. But I, I kind of thought, well, if the race starts slowly and if myself and a couple of other girls, um, you know, break, break ahead, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Cause if you get far enough ahead, like, you know, it could, anything could happen on, on the day. So I kind of thought if it plays out like that, I have a chance, but it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Cause in London, in London, I went ahead and I think had I, a few more people to work with um I wouldn't I died a little bit I think in between 30 and 35 and then kind of came good again but I think if I had if we had a group it would have been easier to maintain the pace um so I was kind of hoping that that it might work out like that in New York but um it didn't so then I just kind of yeah I just went with it and ran as best I could yeah I mean it's it's I I hear this time and time again it's like if you don't put yourself out there to take those risks, you won't know what yeah. could have happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the 224, seventh place in, in London, I can't believe that you led through the halfway point. That's crazy. Were you like, <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah, I, like, initially in the race, I, I did not like it at all. I felt really <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I just kind of thought, oh, my God, am I – Am I going the wrong way? Or what, <laughs> where is everybody? Why? And I, you've no idea, you know, when you're at the front, how far the pack is behind you and stuff. So uh, I was quite relieved when they caught me at 5K. And I thought, yep, perfect. I'll, I'll sit into this pack now. But then um, the pack started to surge and we did uh, like a 308 kilometer. And then we slowed down to a 345 kilometer and then the next kilometer picked up again. And I just I didn't want to race like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I f- really find it drains your legs of energy much quicker than if you go at a consistent pace. So I just decided to pull pull away from the pack. Um, and it wasn't my intention, intention to, you know, get such a lead or anything. I just wanted to go. I knew the time I wanted to hit. I knew what pace I should be at per kilometer. And I just wanted to, ra- wanted to do that. And I ended up getting quite a bit ahead I think maybe 200 meters at one stage which is quite a lot um but I, I didn't realize it till after I guess but once I moved out to the front of the pack you know after the 5k I felt fine leading I was like this is the best option for me um and you know I don't care if people think that I'm being foolish <laughs> going to the front because I know that this is a better option than sitting in a pack that's surging yeah. so yeah so I was happy happy enough to do that <laughs> then it was quite hard when the pack went past me again around the 23k mark 
yeah uh, that can yeah you get a little deflated but then so I went through a little bad patch and then I kind of came good again and I actually started to pick off a few people that had passed me again so that that always gives you a little boost yeah you know that reminds me of I've heard Des talk about racing like that a lot like I know what my body's capable of and I'm gonna do what I know I'm trained to do regardless of what everybody else is doing yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I feel. And I think you can often, you don't have that many chances in a marathon. You know, you can't go out and race another one next week. So yeah. you've trained for so long and so hard for this one race. And to give all that up to run somebody else's race, I think, is foolish. So, um, yeah, I think especially, you know, if you're chasing a time, like in London, I was chasing, I wanted to get a, a PV and I wanted the Olympic qualifier and, you know, that was the, the best way I could do it on that day. So yeah. I'm glad I did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I did what I did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How many marathons have you ran? Um, I think eight or okay. nine. Okay. I have, yeah, I'll have to check that, but around that. Yeah. Okay. I was looking at myself too, but I was like, well, if you don't even know for sure, then I can't feel bad about not knowing 100% what, <laughs> yeah. what the number is. I have checked and then I just forget again. Yeah. yeah. But it's definitely around that. Yeah. Okay. So your story is unique in that you didn't really start diving into running until you were 33 is what I've, what I've read up on. Yep. And yeah. so I would love for you to kind of just share your, your journey into, you know, this competitive running at such starting at such a, a later stage in life compared to most. Yeah, um, I mean, it's really unusual, but I guess um, I didn't have the same opportunities growing up as other people would have or uh, that people would have like nowadays. Um, like when I grew up, uh, I grew up in, in Ireland, uh, in a small town on the west coast of Ireland. And in the primary school and secondary school that I went to, um, the focus was on academics and uh, sport and PE and anything like that was seen as something you do in your spare time and something you do for fun. It wasn't seen as something that would help you grow as a person or that could be a career or anything like that. Um, so I just never got into uh, running then. Um, but I actually studied um, PE teaching at university. Um, and there I was uh, 17 when I went there and we got a, a taste of lots of different sports. Um, but by then, um, you were it was a, you were kind of expected to already have found what your sport is. So a lot of people, you know, they if they had a hockey background in school, they then played hockey at university for the university team. And I had done some basketball in school, so that's what I focused on. Um, so I didn't really have any running mentors or athletics; just didn't feature at all. And then. Um, I moved to Australia in 2002 and uh, traveled for the first few months in Australia and then lived in Sydney for a while, then moved to Melbourne for work. And the easiest way to get some exercise or to, you know, get a little bit fit was to do some running. So I did a little bit of running around Melbourne and I played basketball. Um, so I was always quite fit and quite sporty. Um, but just never really got into racing or anything. And then um, my younger sister, Gronya, she lives in Melbourne as well. And uh, she was 
doing this relay event um, through work and they were missing one person. So she asked me to to join them for this race. It was on uh, every two weeks, so it was on for like a few months. Um, so I joined them and one of the guys on the team noticed that I was really fast for someone who didn't do that much training or anything. And he suggested that I uh, join a running group, which I did eventually. And I had, I had just, this was just after I had my first um, baby. So Eddie was, you know, three months or so. And I had just wanted to, I was on maternity leave from work and I wanted to meet people and get fit again. So the, the running group was just, you know, once a week, uh, more of a social thing rather than uh, any real serious running aspirations. Um, but after a couple of couple of years there, but not taking it too seriously, I started to get into running a bit more and started competing at state level in Australia and won a lot of state titles. And then because of that, then moved to nationals and won a couple of national titles. And then in after I had my second son, Dara, in 2013, uh, my coach suggested that I tried the marathon um I was uh what I would have been around 38 at the time and uh I was always better over the longer distances so um I think about a year after I had Dara yeah in 2014 I tried my first marathon in Melbourne and I placed second and got a 234 wow um and that was off very uh, little training when I compare it to what I do now um, so I, I was really happy with that and I actually ended up uh, qualifying for the world championships with that time so I went to Beijing in 2015 and represented Australia there and I think at that point after that then I, I thought you know this is something that I'm going to try my hardest to do well in and I got a lot more serious about running after that yeah, um, 38 yeah. to 34, first marathon. Yeah, wow. 38. That's um, just crazy. Yeah, it was cool. I got, it was a really great experience as well, my first marathon, because there was no pressure for time yeah. or, you know, there were no expectations from anybody. It was just, we'll see how you go, Sinead. And, you know, it was all run by feel. You know, I wasn't aiming to hit any particular time. Um, so yeah, I really, I really loved it. I really enjoyed it. So that, you know, always makes a difference that if you have a good experience on the first one, you're just keen to do another and another. So uh, yeah, I was quite lucky with that experience. It's just so relatively recent too, you know, it's like 2014 and just, I'm just thinking of your kids ages too, six and nine. My oldest is seven. It's like, that's, that's, it's a, it's a short period of time still to this day Um, yeah you know I mean it's like you're really just like do you feel like now you're kind of just like getting into the peak of everything yeah I think so and yeah I think that just happens especially with marathon running it takes a few years to build up to it and you just get um I, I think it's very hard to I don't know go out and uh, nail your first marathon if you don't have you know a, a good few years of running in your legs before that 
Um, so I had done a lot of 10Ks and half marathons. I like I had done a few years of that and I was ready to try the marathon. So it was a really good, a good time for me to start. Um, and yeah, I guess I'm lucky that it, it suited me as well. And I, yeah, I think back when I did my first one, my training wasn't really suited towards marathon. I was doing maybe more um, 10K training. <clears throat> so since then, I've learned a lot about how to train for a marathon. And, you know, that's really helped me improve a lot, which is which is cool as well. Yeah. So talk about the volume you were doing then when you ran the 234 what volume were you at? Like, well, I always say miles, um, but you, I know you're probably thinking in Ks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't, yeah, I can't do miles at all. So I'll tell you in Ks. You tell then, us in Ks. Yeah. yeah. Sounds yeah. good. Um, so I would have done, I would be doing in 2014, I would have done like 80 to a hundred K probably a week. Okay. And the structure of my training would be the same as it is now. It's just would have been a lot less. So I did, like on a Tuesday, I would do a speed session. And back then it was like maybe max of four to six K in effort. Okay. Whereas now I would do eight to 10 K of effort. And then on my Thursdays would be a threshold. And that would be like 12 K to 14 K. Whereas now my thresholds when I'm in marathon training every week would be around 20 K. Okay. Um, and then in 2014 that would that was my training for the week Tuesday Thursday and then the rest was all easy running I'd do a long run on Sunday but it was always slow like my coach at the time thought you know it's just about time on your legs Mm -hmm. you just go nice and slowly he always kept telling me to slow down slow down Mm -hmm. (laughs) on my long runs because I was always keen to go faster whereas now on a Sunday my long run is another key session and I'll often do it on like very hilly courses or I'll do a pickup at the end. This is when I'm in marathon training. So it's a lot more taxing than what I used to do. And on Saturdays, these days now as well, I do hill training. Uh, whereas I didn't do that before. So it's it's changed quite a lot and a lot uh, more marathon specific than when I started in 2014 with marathon training. It was still very general, generic training that you, you kind of do for any distance. I'm not really marathon specific. Well, that sounds like it was a good recipe though for your first marathon because yeah, it seems like if he would have like the coach you had then would have gone crazy with you, you could have got injured or burnt out or just things wouldn't have clicked. So it sounds like it was a good experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was the thing as well. Like because I was 38, he probably thought as well, I, you know, there's a higher risk of me getting injured, so I need to do less. And he thought, he, he kind of was of the mindset, well, you know, 234, that's great. That's all you need to do. Mm. Whereas I was like, oh, 234, I can, I can do better. I can break <laughs> I 230. I want to improve on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you always want to do better and better. And he's like, no, no, that's good enough. You know, let's just keep everything the same. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want to get faster. I want to get faster. So, yeah, it's funny, but I, it, it was definitely a good base. Um, definitely a great starting point, you know, and a really great experience for me. And I was not worn out at, at all. And I just wanted to, you know, try more and yeah. Yeah. I, I looked this up, everybody. So she said between 80 and a hundred K and I, 90 K is 55 miles a week. So that's what we're looking at. That's what you were looking at. It sounds like for the first one. And so then, yeah. then what is like leading into 
London when you ran the 224 in New York just recently. You ran 226 in New York. What were you, what were the uh, Ks leading into those? That would be closer to 180, okay. 190K. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's a big almost jump. Almost double. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you have a different coach now. When did you transition to a different coach? Uh, so at the start of last year. Okay. Um, oh, sorry. No, so I actually, so I trained with the, the group that I joined when I started running first was a recreational running group. And I trained with them until the start of 2018. And I decided to move because uh, in with the rec running group, I was, even though there were lots of people there, uh, I was training solo. Like I often didn't have people to train with. Like every now and then um, there'd be one or two guys that would come and could do the, the session with me, but they weren't really serious runners either. And they were more doing it for social reasons. So they wouldn't be there every week. And I was kind of there for different reasons to everybody else, I think. So then I joined Melbourne Track Club um, and they're um, like an elite running group. So that was a much better environment for me. And um, my mindset changed and I wasn't the unusual one in the group. You know, Mm -hmm. we're all there for the same reasons. We're all there with the same goals and the same focus. Um, So that was uh, that, that helped my training a lot. And my training changed from the start of 2018. That's when I started to do a lot more volume and a lot more um, intensity. And uh, it, it really paid dividends. Like I started to improve quite a lot. I had, initially after joining that, that group for a few months and then I kind of leveled out again. Um, but that it was after training with them for from January to October that I had my breakthrough race in Melbourne, which was the 225 um, marathon. So I knew things were headed in the right direction. And then, um, after that race, then, um, Nick Bideau, he, he runs the Melbourne track club. He set it up and he became my coach after that. All right. I'm going to break in real quick and thank a couple sponsors who are helping make this podcast possible. And the first is Coros. This is my favorite watch. It is the GPS watch that I use that Glenn uses Actually, that Sally McRae, who I just did a live podcast recording with, uses. It has excellent battery life. It has very accurate GPS, and it has a nice, sleek look to it. It's super simple, super functional, syncs right up to Strava. It's so easy to do that. And you all can go to coros.com. And when you check out, when you purchase a watch and check out, you can get an extra band when you use the code ANOTHER. Now, they have all kinds of different fun colors in the band, so it's fun to kind of switch that up and change up the look. So when you go to coros.com, use the code ANOTHER to get an extra band at checkout. And if you want this watch for yourself for Christmas, just send your significant other or your mom or your dad or your best friend. I don't know whose best friend is spending this kind of money on them at Christmas, but... If this is something that you'd like to receive, send them this info, koros.com, and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. All right, and then the other sponsor I want to thank is Endevo Run. Endevo Run is for runners everywhere and of all abilities who want to reach their potential by training with the precision, community, and accountability of the elites. This will all start with a summer kickoff retreat, a five-day, four-night, all-inclusive camp with housing, meals, snacks, and fun from July 16th to the 20th in Oregon. 
And then you get a personalized training program from a 5K, 10K, half, or full marathon. And the program ends at the Rock and Roll Vegas Marathon and Half Marathon in November of 2020. Now, the cool thing about this is Endeavor Run has partnered with all kinds of really great coaches to help those who are part of the program along the way. I just love this concept so much. It's this team atmosphere concept, and I think that they're onto something at Endeavor Run. I think that they're really going to be creating this experience that you feel like you're connected with the team through their programming. So you can go to EndeavorRun.com to check out all of their events. And a little note here is that if you're feeling a little gun shy to do the entire program, I think they're going to open up spots for the retreat, the camp that's in Oregon to maybe just start there. So head over to EndeavorRun.com and scroll down at the bottom of their website so you can sign up for their newsletter and stay in touch with them on all the things they have going on. And then make sure you're following them on social as well. EndeavorRun.com. E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R-U-N.com. All right, friends, let's continue my conversation with Sinead Diver. So tell everybody how you ended up in Australia, though, because you're from Ireland. Yeah, so um, I moved here in 2002, and it was just, um, I was just out of uni a couple of years and had been working in Dublin, and I always wanted to travel. And um, my boyfriend, Colin, he's now my husband, he wanted to travel too, and we were like, let's just go to Australia for a year. It, there was a lot of people from Ireland going to Australia. They must have been like a good deal on flights or something because <laughs> so many of us going at the time. And we were like, oh, yeah, we'll go there for a year. A year. Experience that. Yeah, that was the plan. And just get a job we, doing whatever. Just find a job. Yeah, you, you can get like um, these working holiday visas. So you can work, you can um, holiday and then work for like three months, um, but no longer than three months in the one company. So you're kind of restricted in the jobs that you can get, but then it's good. You just kind of pay for your holiday for the year. Yeah. Um, which we did, but then we weren't ready to go home at the end of the year. And uh, Colin was lucky enough to get a job in IT and he got a four-year visa um, through that job. And then I got that de facto on his visa. And then after four years, so then we spent four years here, always with the intention of going back to Ireland. But then we thought, oh, we're here this long we we should get our residency so that it's easier to come and go if we want so then we got a residency and then um we then then I think it was just a matter of filling in some paperwork to get our citizenship and we had been here that was seven years by then and then we had kids and (laughs) once we had kids I was like oh wow I think this is home now you know the the intentions to go back to Ireland kind of became less and less and this Australia became more like our home. And yeah, we've been here 17 years and this is definitely home now. And you know, our, our kids are Aussies and yeah, yeah we're really happy here, is but that... it's funny how we came for a year and 17 years on, we're still here. 17 years. Is that hard for family though? How far is, what's the plane ride to back home to Ireland? Oh it's, yeah. It's 24 hours, Wow, which is, really yeah you can't really do it that often and especially now that there's four of us traveling you know it's very expensive um but I'm lucky in that my younger sister Ronya is still here and uh she's just had a a baby girl as well so um and we're very close uh, myself and Ronya so it's really great to have her here and then 
it is really far away in that, but it's funny how, um, you know, it, I speak to my parents quite often and we have Skype these days so we can do videos and that. So they get to see the boys a lot and we get to chat. So it's almost not as far away as you think or as it used to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and yeah, we actually with running in that, you know, we've been back now a couple of times because of races. Um, so, I got, so I race London and then um, this year, uh, doing Doha and New York, you know, myself and the boys got to travel home as well to Ireland. So that's been really good. So, yeah, it's kind of worked out, which is great. What are the odds that one of your siblings also lives like a world away from home as well? Oh, well, I think, yeah, she she came to visit me when I was here because uh, she was actually working in India for a year and she came to Australia and she loved it and then she went back home and mom was like you know you need to get Sinead to come home so she my younger sister came out (laughs) with the intention of bringing us home and she ended up staying (laughs) and then my brother was here for a few years as well but he uh, he went back a few years ago yeah so there were three of us here how many siblings Um, do you have so I've got two two older sisters in Ireland um, and a younger brother and a younger sister Okay. So, yeah, the, and then the brother's back in Ireland too. So he's just back in Ireland now okay. the last few years, yeah. Okay. So he was I think he was here for 8 years or 10 years. Oh wow. Okay. Well. Yeah. <laughs> they have 3 kids yeah. at home. That's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they get some of the kids at home. Oh my goodness. I am such a bad traveler. I just I'm very like awe in awe of this. I think it's so cool. <laughs> um talk to us about your job because you work in IT as well did you yeah. take some time off leading up to the marathon but have you mostly been working full-time still what does all that look like yeah so um I've worked in IT since I came to Australia um which actually is really has been really good for fitting in around running and family and that because I get some flexibility like I can work from home sometimes and I can vary my hours a bit. Um, so I work um, five days a week, but like 32 hours. Okay. So I work from like 11 a.m. till 5 or 6 p.m. some days. Um, so that works out really well because I can train in the morning and I can get the boys to school and uh, then I come home in the evening, go for you know a quick second run. And then I have the evening at home and that. So um yeah, it's really good. And if if I need to change hours in that work are pretty flexible. And they've been great this year. They um I think I think after Melbourne and once I on yeah, once the possibility of me going to the Olympics came into the equation, um they wanted to support me, which is great. So this year they gave me um two months off to prep for uh, Doha and New York Marathon so that's why I was able to go to St. Moritz and and then go to London afterwards like if they hadn't supported me in that there's no way I could have done that I probably would have had to choose between going to Doha and doing New York Marathon I definitely wouldn't have done both and then it would have been a case of you know I'll go there you know max a week before the race so I've been very fortunate that that they've supported me this year um, so yeah yeah, do you how do you feel about like working almost I mean 32 hours but it's pretty almost full time, you know, it's a lot of hours yeah. a week. 
Like, how do you feel about having that balance? Like family work and then running, which is, would you consider that your job too at this point? Yeah. So running is more becoming my job than it has done in the past more this year because, um, you know, I'll get some prize money and then appearance fees. So it's still not in, in Australia, we don't get sponsorships like, like mm. we, like you guys do in America. Okay. So you can't really have it unless you're, you know, a superstar, <laughs> I, I don't even are. know what they're on. <laughs> but you can't really make a career out of it. Um, I would love if my career was running mm. and, you know, I could support my family doing that. That would be fantastic. But, but I can't, so I, I need to work, um, you know, cause I have kids and a mortgage and, you know, bills need to be paid. But, um, I, I am in the last couple of years, I am getting, earning more money through running. And then I will, I think for this next year, I will take time off work to, you know, cause the Olympics is, mm-hmm my main goal and I want to put everything into that so but I also don't want to get us into this financial hole that takes us five years to get out of you know so I'm going to have to try and find a balance with work and training and that because it is really really full-on trying to juggle everything like it's really intense all the time like this this past few months where I've had the time off work has been an absolute dream. I, it's been fantastic and, you know, everything is a lot easier as a result. But I start back to work on Monday, so... Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, bit, I'm a bit nervous about that. I've really enjoyed the uh, professional running lifestyle for the last two months. <laughs> it's been great. I just, like, you're the third fastest Australian marathoner and you've run a 2.24 and you've placed fifth at the New York City Marathon. I just... In my head, I'm like, how that doesn't have like a full time sponsorship as your this to be your full time job is just mind blowing to me. Yeah, it's really, um, it's really sad that yeah. I guess athletics is kind of in that state that um, that you, you can't do that. I mean, I and it, yeah, it would help so much, and you know how much better could athletes be if they could focus on that completely and not, you know, have to work full time as well to support, support themselves. So yeah, it's a pity. It's a pity that there isn't sponsorship, more sponsorship. I think, yeah, I don't know if it's just an Australian thing or, cause I, I know that it's a lot better in the States and in the UK as well. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I, I'm just thinking of your times and, and everything. I'm like, there's no reason you wouldn't have a sponsor. I would, I yeah. would assume, but <laughs> Does it ever make you feel like frustrated, like that you're competing with all these people that probably it is their full time job? <laughs> um, uh, a, a little, not frustrated, I guess, because uh, you know I feel very lucky to mm. to be able to do this as mm-hmm. well. Um, so, and you know, I don't know. I, I guess it's my choice. Like maybe if I had moved to the States, it would yeah. be different. It's, it's my choices that, you know, I'm here because of my choices, but, uh, I, it is a little bit like, I do think, oh, you know, could I be a lot better if I had more support in that? Um, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, it is what it is and I'm making the best of it. So yeah. 
there's no point in getting frustrated with other athletes because they're in a better position I guess it's not like it's uh you know it's not their fault that I'm in this position (laughs) talk to us about being 42 and how people always start all the headlines with the 42 year old (laughs) and how you feel about I know (laughs) and it's it's gotten even worse since I said that I find it really frustrating (laughs) every single article now is starts off with that headline the 42 year old I'm like oh god um, they yeah, knew I it find bothered it really, me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I find it really frustrating because it's like I feel like I'm getting this limitation forced mm-hmm. on me that isn't a, that I don't see as a limitation. You know, I'm 42. I'm not 102. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not. I haven't started to, you know, get really old, and I don't have, you know, a walking stick. It's just <laughs> I'm. As I'm fitter than I was 10 years ago um, and I just you know I think I think I'm unusual in that I started so much older like I was 33 so I'm very young in running years so I think that must make a huge difference um, and I think um, it's a lot more about you know the, how long you've been running for rather than your actual age that kind of impacts your recovery and getting niggles and injuries and that like I know a lot of runners who uh, are in their early 30s and they they tell me you know that they can feel the difference from when they're in their 20s and they're finding it much harder to to train and that and I think it's they've just been in athletics a lot longer than I have um so yeah I don't know I think I I wish that people could get over the the age thing and just treat me like a regular athlete, you know, I just want to, yeah, it just, it, it frustrates me no end. <laughs> yeah. Like you're lining up at the New York city marathon. You're li- you're going to line up in Tokyo on an, what you feel is an even playing field with everybody else. And you have just as good a chance to win the race as anybody else. Yeah. And like, you know, when people report on my, uh, my performances, like even for New York, it was, uh, I read this article and it was, you know, Des Linden was the first American in fifth and, you know, they were listing all the, the stats and then I wasn't in those stats. I was in the 40 plus bracket. <laughs> They're like, and you know, I was like, oh my God, I came fifth. Overall. You know, I was the first, overall, I was the first non-African runner. And, but yet I'm not mentioned in the, in the other stats I'm bundled in in the 40 plus category which like I have like it's not that I have anything against that but I wish that people would stop trying to see it as a limitation I mean look how well uh Roberta raced and uh, how well particularly in the world champs that she raced you know it's not 40 isn't what it used to be you know 20 years ago we're all you know I don't know like we have we our lives aren't as difficult I think nowadays mm-hmm. that they were 20 years ago so uh, yeah I, I just think for me in particular I don't notice any difference between being 42 and when I was 32 like I'm I haven't noticed any getting older or getting you know recovery being harder or anything like that I know that will eventually happen um, but I don't know when <laughs> well, you probably see. feel better because your kids are older too. <laughs> when you were yeah. 30, when you were like 34, That's 35, your kids were little, so you were like tired from that. <laughs> yeah, getting no sleep at all. Yeah, that's very true, actually. 
Um, you know, I've talked to Roberta several times and I think she ring the same sentiments ring true for her. She just wants to be out there competing with everybody, regardless of what her age is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's really cool too, because, um, even though you guys don't want the like age stigma thing or whatever, you and Roberta and people like you guys have inspired, I think this like massive group of women like myself, I'm in my mid thirties because I see the potential, not as a professional runner, but just the potential of what my body will still be able to do in my forties. And that's so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, that's great. Like, you know, we're constantly told all the time, oh, well, you can't do this because, you know, you're a woman, you can't do this because you're this age, you can't do that because you're a mother. You know, it's like these limitations are constantly enforced on us and it doesn't need to be that way. So I I think that's great. And I'm really, you know, happy that, you know, I'm somewhat playing a part in getting that message out there, I guess. Do you ever think about how, you know, how you said when you were growing up that our academics were placed at such a higher importance than athletics? And do you ever think about like, well, what if that would have been different? Yeah, I do. I mean, um, I think, oh, wow, I would love, I would love, love, love to have gotten into running younger and for that to be my career and to have, uh, you know, the next 20 years of my life to be able to think that that could be around athletics, which, you know, I can't be yeah. <laughs> because of the age I started. But, um, but having said that as well, I often think, you know, I don't know if I'd be any faster. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My strength is in the marathon. And generally, I think women peak in that when they are a bit older, you need kind of experience and, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think if I'd gotten into athletics younger, I could have fallen into the trap of um, that a lot of girls fall into. That just this constant cycle of injury, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a high presence of eating disorders, and you, you don't really know how it would work out. And I might have fallen out of the sport and never gotten back into it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm I'm living it now, and I'm happy. Um, so I can't. I don't really want to look back and regret and think, oh. Well, I, I guess I can't regret it. wasn't like I made a decision. <laughs> I just didn't <laughs> to not get into running. But yeah, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to look back and be bitter about the opportunities that I didn't have. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like to think that, you know, I'm grasping them now and making the most of it. Yeah. So entering into the competitive part of running, you know, in your 30s, did that whole, you know, you mentioned the eating disorder thing. Do you feel like you were just, I don't know if mature is the right way to put it, but just you were at a different point in your life where that wasn't going to be a trip up? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think um, where it's often for um, for young girls when they're in, their bodies are changing that, you know, they're not as tiny as they were when they go through puberty and you know your your body changes then they get really self-conscious and uh trying to stay as skinny as they were and as small as they were when they were younger and then a lot of them fall into the trap of eating disorders and that can last for years and years and years um and that's really prevalent in athletics 
Um, so I think starting older, I definitely, you know, I, I, I guess, yeah, more mature and I wasn't in that phase. Um, and you know, it was very unlikely that I'd fall into it. Um, so that was definitely a benefit of, and you're, you're, you're more, um, your own person when you're, mm-hmm. you know, older as well, you can, uh, more confident and more make your own decisions and that. So yeah, I think that helps with running as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Things change so much each decade, you know, your thirties are so much different than yeah. your twenties and I'm sure yeah. you're experiencing that in your forties as well. Yeah, I am actually. <laughs> yeah. What have you learned most in your forties that you didn't know in your thirties? I think more um, to trust my instincts, um, to believe in myself, and not to uh, not to listen to uh, be more selective about the people I listen to. Mm. Um, because often, you know, you have people telling you what to do and how to behave, and and they don't really know any more than you do. Um, so I, I, I just am more. Uh, yeah, selective about the people that I listen to, and um, I don't just listen to anyone and their advice. You know, I I have more belief in how I feel about things, so I guess more confidence. Yeah. In in my forty, yeah. You gotta love the person that's always telling you what you should do. Hey, you should oh. do this. Yeah. And you're like, oh, should I? Should I do that? Yeah. <laughs> and then you find out what they're basing their in quotes knowledge on and you're like wow you haven't a clue like yeah uh, often when you're younger you would listen to these people just because they're they speak more confidently and uh, they have more they're more self-assured and you think oh well they must know what they're talking about whereas they often don't yeah (laughs) totally yeah what do you want your kids to take most take away from seeing mom compete at such a high level I guess um, that they can that they can see that this is achievable, and I'm just mom, and this is something that that uh, that I'm doing, and that they can they can do when they're older as well. Like that, they're they don't feel limited, and they see the opportunities that that they can have in life. Um, I guess maybe maybe that. Do they get it? Like, do they, they're six and nine, you said, do they, do they know how big of a deal it is that you placed fifth in New York and that you're running with the the best in the world? Um, I think Eddie might, he's nine. He, he has more grasp on it than Dara. Like Dara fifth, you know, if it's not first, then (laughs) it doesn't (laughs) like what is fifth. But I think Eddie Eddie understands it, and he understands, you know, how big the race is in New York, and it really helped for them to be there as well and see how many people were in the race, and uh, yeah, like they really enjoyed that experience, and I'm sure it's something that they'll remember forever, and you know, they felt really important because they got these little access passes that let them into these different areas where <laughs> VIPs could go, so they were like, this is really cool. Um, so yeah, so. Yeah, I think I think Eddie does, and Eddie realizes the significance of the Olympics mm. and that. So mm-hmm. you know, he's very excited at the thought of that, and he, you know, it's he he now thinks that, of course, well, if I can do, if his mom can do it, then he can do it. So he's, uh, you know, thinking of his options to get to the Olympics one day, and he loves skateboarding and rugby and running, and yeah, so 
that doesn't seem as foreign to him, I think, as a result, which is cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, so tell us about the Olympics, um, how this works. You're from Ireland, but you're competing for Australia. Um, do you call yourself an Aussie now? Like, what is this? Tell us about this. Oh, so um, in 2014, when I got um, when I raced Melbourne and I got the 234 in the marathon, um, because I hadn't raced internationally for Ireland or Australia prior to that, um, I qualified. I could choose, uh, theoretically choose which country I wanted to represent. Um, but and and at the time. Um, you know, I I thought I'd represent Ireland because that's where I was born and grew up. But Athletics Ireland actually a month after I got my time, they changed the qualifying time to 45 seconds faster than my time, mm. which meant that I couldn't go to represent go to the World Champs and represent Ireland. Um, and then, which I was really upset about initially. Um, but then, you know. Um, I spoke to my, my coach mentioned at the time, well, you live in Australia. This is your home now. Um, you know, your kids are Australian and this is where all your friends are. And um, he was like, you have as much allegiance to represent Australia, uh, as much allegiance to Australia as Ireland. And I thought he's absolutely right. And Athletics Australia offered me a spot on the team um, and I jumped at it. I was like, that is this is such a great opportunity. So I've represented Australia since then. And I've qualified now to represent them at the Olympics. Okay, so you're competing in the marathon in Tokyo. <laughs> so I've qualified and I'm the fastest qualified. But they won't cl close the qualifying period until I think the end of April next year. Okay. Uh, so if I'm in the top three, then I get to go to the Olympics. Okay. So Pretty much. Yeah. All right. So you'd have to have three people beat your time. Yeah, in the next few months. Yeah, because you're in the so, you're you are the fastest time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, do you know the other ladies, and do you ever run with the other ladies from Australia who are also in that top three? Yeah, so Ellie Pashley, uh, mm -hmm. she did New York as well. So she came eighth, um, and she's we raced together a lot. She's a very good friend of mine. Um, so she's in second position um, with a, a two twenty six that she got in Nagoya. And then uh, the other girl is Millie Clark, and she got a 228 at the Gold Coast this year. Okay. So, yeah. So we're the top three qualified so far. Is Ellie the one that you, like, ran into some rope or something at the New York oh. City Marathon? <laughs> what happened? Oh, yeah. That was me and Ellie. Um, <laughs> we, yeah, we, um, we were coming around that that big bend and we just followed the cars that were ahead of us um but the the road was split with the blue tape and the cars went to the left and we were supposed to go to the right but we didn't know that we, we were just looking at the cars and followed them and then the volunteer was like no 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 the other side the other side but by then we were the the wrong side of the tape and I went to grab the tape missed it went to grab it again <laughs> nearly chopped off my head the tape and then swung around and nearly headbutted Ellie <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what a disaster. Uh, luckily, we both recovered and we were fine. And it makes for a very funny feeling after the race. But, I mean, it could have been, yeah. been a disaster. Where, where was it, that in the race? That was pretty, that was early on, maybe around oh, mile three-ish. Oh, wow. Okay. Did it take yeah. you a minute to gain, regain your composure? 
Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I think straight after that, I was like, oh my God, I chucked my arm warmers and my gloves. I was like, I need to reset. <laughs> yeah. Get into this race. Because then we had to catch up to the pack again. But we, we didn't actually lose that much time. Okay. Um, yeah, so yeah, we were lucky, really. It could have been a lot worse. I'm so glad they captured that on video. (laughs) That's been played a few times. Yeah, I saw that on your Instagram. That's crazy. (laughs) So what are your biggest goals for Tokyo, presuming that, assuming that you are running? Yeah. In the race. Um, Yeah, so it's going to be a very different marathon because of, the heat aspect, mm-hmm. um, even though I think it's moved to Sapporo now, but it's still going to be really, really hot. Um, so that kind of opens up the race a bit, I think. It often, I think we saw in Doha, it comes down to, you know, who prepares better for the heat, and it's not about who's the fastest in the field. So I think, you know, I'm going to try and keep an an open mind and a positive mindset, and I'll go in and try and, and races or place as high as I can, you know, r- run with with the pack and try and stay with the lead group. And yeah, I guess uh, I definitely won't be about time for that one. So it'll be about placing. And yeah, I don't know. I, d- I don't really want to set any limitations on myself. Yeah. Um, so anything is possible. That's and I'm going to awesome. go in with that mindset. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's that's such a good way to think about it. And the, the heat thing, I mean, it's so true. It's it just and it reminds me of Boston in 2018. It's like it yeah. just kind of like opens up the floodgates. Anything's possible for anyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so cool. So will you run any marathons before then? Um, I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't locked anything in. I haven't. I, there's a few options, but. Um, yeah, it'll depend on how the other girls go in their marathons and if I need to race another mm-hmm. one. Um, so I think I might, I'll probably, you know, starting in the new year, prepare as if I am going to. But I don't want to race anything too close to the Olympics either, you know, and then risk injury or um, I want to be in the best shape that I can be if I make it to the Olympics and have the best race that I can. So I'll, I'll probably make that decision, you know, in early like february next year okay. i'll see how things are panning out yeah and the family will come right oh yeah definitely yeah. yeah definitely what was your favorite thing about the new york city marathon probably oh probably the finish like i was so excited so happy to finish um just crossing that line and then sharing that moment with ellie as well because she's a very good friend of mine and we both both were really happy with our races um so that was really special and but like the whole week leading in I've only been to New York once before years and years ago just for one day and I can't really remember it so just experiencing New York and Central Park and that was all really cool and to have Colin and the boys with me uh it was just a really special time and you know I love New York and definitely keen to go back does Colin your husband does he run um (laughs) sporadically (laughs) he no he doesn't but every now and then he decides he wants to get fit and he'll go out for a run he's actually he's been a bit more consistent the last few months he because often he'd go out for a run and like would run for hard for you know five ten minutes and then come back and 
to say that was the most horrendous thing I've ever done. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> Whereas now he's like, he's learned a bit about pacing himself. So he'll do a lap of the park that's close to our house. Um, so he's starting to enjoy it a bit more. So he might actually make it a more regular thing, which is cool. What is, What has it been like in your marriage, just like as you've taken on this like big extra thing in your life? Has that been challenging at all? <laughs> Uh, yeah, very much so at the start, um, because, you know, we already had a massive change in our lives. Like we had our, our first baby. Um, and then a few months later, I'm, you know, well, not not initially, but because I was very I only went to training like once a week and that was OK. But then when I started talking about, you know, uh, running at state races, which were, you know, every second weekend and Colin kind of was like, well, you know, we have a new baby and you're going to be gone mm-hmm. all day Saturday, you know, and that, and I was like, yeah, he's right. But then, uh, I think for a long time, I tried to keep my training to, you know, very early in the morning or late in the evening, which I still do so that it doesn't impact family life as much. Um, and I think, uh, Colin has, you know, it's, it's taken a few years, but he's seen, how important it is to me and I have been getting better and better and as well as that now it's it's not just a hobby anymore you know I am earning some money from it so it is kind of like my job as well which makes it a lot easier Mm -hmm. um so he in the last few years you know he he's definitely on board and is very supportive but there was a few years where you know we often had discussions about is this worth it is you know all the training you're putting in and the, you know, it, it, it does, it does have an impact on our lives as a family. So we had to weigh up if it was worth it or not. And I'm really glad that it did work out. Um, and we still have moments of like, you know, when things get really difficult because, because we're, you know, our days are so jam packed and with work and everything, if one little thing goes wrong, like when one of the boys gets sick, it kind of throws everything out. And I'm like, I can't believe I, I then have to say in the middle of everything, you know, oh, I need to go to training now. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I feel so bad about it. Um, but, you know, that those moments are becoming more rare and running is is part of our lives now. And, you know, it, it's something that I do and we've, we've worked around it and we've got a routine that works and that. So it's definitely easier now than it was, you know, in the earlier years. And And as you said, like the boys are older and they're at school and, you know, yeah, it's just easier to fit it in now. Yeah, it was a total curveball. Like, oh, wait, yeah. I'm really good at this. This is going to take <laughs> up some time in our lives. Yeah. We're expecting Colin's that. like, wow, you're getting into this now? We just had a baby. <laughs> Great timing, Sinead. Yeah. Yeah, the physical needs of, of the kids. I mean, I know that as the kids get older and they're into a million sports, it takes, you know, a lot of time to to take them to their different places but just like yeah the physical exhaustion and the needs of them physically are just not as not as high I've I'm coming off kids crawling all over me all day long and yeah. I'm just like oh <laughs> but my oldest yeah. is seven and you know I get plenty of space from him already yeah. so yeah for sure yeah you've right. got four kids do you yep I have four mm-hmm. and oh wow yeah, so I'm I'm very much in this place where I'm like my my kids are five are seven five three and one and I feel oh like I'm sort of split 
like the two bigger boys, I feel like, okay, we've entered this phase where we can like take some deep breaths, you know, and like, yeah, (laughs) but then I'm still sitting on the floor, like trying to keep the one-year-old safe from the three-year-old. And I I just feel like I'm split in two different worlds kind of. Oh, wow. You must have your hands full. Wow. But I'm really happy to be sitting in my closet talking to you right now and not, (laughs) and not putting them to bed. Uh, Let's wrap up with some end of the podcast questions. Sure. What's one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done? Um, Well, race the marathon at the Olympics. Um, I would also love to have uh, a go at uh, breaking the Australian record for the marathon. So Mm. that's 2.22.36. And that's held by Benita Willis. Um, So, you know, I'm edging closer and closer to that time. And I think... um, New York was a, I, I think New York, I was fitter than I've ever been before any other marathon, but because of the course is a lot more challenging, mm-hmm. um, I knew that I was, I, there was, I had no intentions of aiming for a PB or anything. Um, but it kind of gives me hope for the, the next fast marathon that I do that I could, you know, all, all the girls that I finished with at the New York marathon are all 222 marathoners or faster. So that kind of, you know, gives me confidence that maybe I could break the Australian record, which would be awesome. Um, but I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that's so <laughs> that cool. won't happen in Tokyo though. Yeah, as I say, after the after the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, like when you give London or Berlin or something like that a shot. Yeah, like a flat course. Yeah, yeah that would be cool. That's awesome. I was wondering, actually, I didn't even know what the Australian record was, but I was thinking, I wonder if she wants to break two twenty. Oh, <laughs> no, um, let's, yeah, I'll uh, try for the 222. Yeah. <laughs> How long has that been a record for? Oh, I think, uh, when did Benita get that? She got it in, it was at Chicago. Um, okay. maybe I'm not, I'm not actually sure. Maybe 10 years. Okay. Maybe? Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a longstanding record. Oh, uh, maybe not even, yeah, maybe six. I'm not sure. Yeah. Sorry. I should know that, but I don't. I'm not sure when she raced Chicago. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Um, uh, in, in running, I think probably um, placing fifth in the New York Marathon. I think that is probably something I'm most proud of. I guess it's something that's fresh in my brain too. Um, and to be the first non-African runner is a big deal for me. Yeah. Um, so probably that, I think. Yeah, that's so cool. That was so exciting to see you come through and shift <laughs> for all of us. <laughs> Thank you. What's a nonprofit you like to support? Um, there is an Aussie organization called Save the Children. Um, and their goal is to help um, vulnerable children, like from neglect and abuse and violence. Um, and I think that's really important. I think, um, you know, as a young kid, that's where your um, personality is formed and you're so vulnerable like kids kids are like sponges so everything all the experiences they have when they're younger really shape who they're going to be in the future so I think it's really important to try and make that as a positive an experience as possible for as many children as we can so that's that's something I would be very um uh, supportive of and if you could have coffee cocktail or tea with someone fun motivating or inspiring who would it be um I would probably go with cocktails and it would be with I probably um 
I don't, I don't know if you're going to know these guys, okay. but um, <laughs> there's an Aussie comedian. He's like a radio TV personality, Hamish Blake. Okay. And I absolutely love him. He's really, really funny. Um, and he's not, he's got, he doesn't have that mean humor that some comedians have. Mm-hmm. He's just uh, really funny. Uh, so him or Graham Norton. Okay. So Graham Norton is an Irish comedian. He has the, the Graham Norton show in the UK. Um, he's hilarious. Um, so I would, yeah, I'd love to have some cocktails with them, oh, I love <laughs> but not, that. not as a fan as a, so in my fake world where I'm having cocktails with them, I'd love to be like their friends. So you could talk about, you know, everyday things and not, you know, have the chit chat that you'd have with people totally. that you don't know. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's so awkward. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love that you picked a comedian. Do you omit drinking, uh, when you're hardcore training or will you still have like a glass of wine here and there? Um, in the, the weeks leading into a race, I'll give it up completely. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually find that easier than if I try and have a glass of wine every now and then I find it harder to then abstain. Uh-huh. Um, but in, you know, and now after a race and, and that I would, I, I like having, I like wine and beer and that, but, um, yeah, any, in the few weeks leading in, I'll just stay away from it completely. Were you so drained though after New York, like that night, did you have a beer or were you like, I just need to hydrate? Uh, no, I had a few beers. <laughs> 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 um, and often after a marathon, I'm so wrecked. Like I have great intentions of going out and I'm always way too tired. Yeah. But for New York, uh, yeah, no, we had, there was a, a good group of us there. Um, I, I trained in London with, uh, two of the Aussie guys that raced the race as well. So Brett Robinson and Jack Rayner. And so they were there and our coach and Ellie, was there and her husband and Colin and the boys so we had a really good group of us so yeah we all had a few drinks that sounds so fun yeah it was really good fun what's the best most recent book you've read um so I actually don't read that often but I did read um just because of time (laughs) I don't don't get that much time but I read um Tyler Hamilton's book The Secret Race okay and I found that fascinating very eye-opening it's just about the uh the doping in the Tour de France. Oh, okay. um, that was an unbelievable story about oh him and Lance Armstrong and how, how that whole world, everything that happened in it and how it unfolded and now his life after that. And yeah, it was really good. It was okay. bizarre. But And then I also read um, Yelena Jockett's book, Unbreakable. So she's an Australian tennis player. Uh, she actually came from Yugoslavia and she just talks about... Um, the struggles she had as a refugee and poverty and she had this really her dad was this unhinged man who abused her for years and so her book is is amazing as well it's oh. very inspiring to read oh yeah that sounds really good they both sound really good yeah they were they were both uh, good books i really enjoyed them gosh what a bummer that lance was a big doper it's just <sighs> would have been such a better story if he wasn't. Oh, I know. It's such a shocking story. Like to hear all the stories of the extent that they went to and Gosh. everything that they did. It's just, a, it's just a bizarre, bizarre world. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, makes me angry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we want to root for, you know, people doing big things and that's just not, yeah. it's not fun. It it's just not taint, cool. it, it taints everything it taints then. Everything. It's really sad. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. Um, okay, Sinead, if you have one message to send to the world, what would it be? Um, I think it would be, um, to not be held back by 
other people's biases or society's limitations. Um, no one should really tell you how to live your life. It's your life and you decide. Um, like I've constantly been told I'm too old or I got into running too late or, you know, I'm a mom, I can't really achieve success in that. So, you know, I've, I think you should decide on your own and not let others dictate your life. I love that. All right, Sinead. Well, congratulations again. Thank you. And thank you so much for making time to do this. I know you're still recovering from your jet lag and I just really appreciate (laughs) you spending this hour with me. And no worries at all. It's been a pleasure. All right. Talk soon. Thanks, Lindsay. Bye. Bye. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Thanks, Sinead, for coming on the show and talking with me so fresh off your TCS New York City Marathon fifth place finish. We are so excited for you. You all can find Sinead on Instagram. She is Diver Sinead, D-I-V-E-R-S-I-N-E-A-D. You can find me on Instagram. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine, and you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. And a big thanks to all of our sponsors of this episode. Links to all of that will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. All right, friends, have a really great rest of your day. Have a wonderful weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.